You are listening to What Kind of Asian Are You podcast, a podcast featuring conversations about being Asian. I am your host, Kyle, a Hong Kong Chinese Canadian diaspora interested in the third culture identity. Each week, I talk with a different diaspora Asian to talk about their life, stories, and experiences. The podcast looks to highlight, amplify, and validate Asian voices worldwide. Please stand back from the doors. Sorry to interrupt this awesome episode with this, but please make sure to follow this podcast on your streaming platform and on Instagram if you haven't already. Again, you can find the podcast by searching "What Kind of Asian Are You" podcast, and also on Instagram at "What Kind of Asian Pod." Again, it's "What Kind of Asian Pod" on Instagram. Please leave comments and reviews. I greatly appreciate them. And now back to the episode. So we're back. Welcome to another episode of "What Kind of Asian Are You" podcast. I am your host. My name is Kyle. And in today's episode, I am very, very, very happy to have this guest because he's one of those people that you know had been really been working his butt off, helping the community, doing all that he does to elevate and help share stories that I really care about and something I look forward in doing. So um, before we bring him in, I just want to talk about what he kind of do. So first off, he is a Korean American. He's an entrepreneur, CEO of Just Like Media, a podcast first media company focused on telling diverse stories. And shows under the company include NBA Asians, Beyond the Resume, and of course, Dear Asian Americans. He's an amazing public speaker, speaking on storytelling and the Asian American experience. And most importantly, I think he's a storyteller. Sharing diverse stories that we really need right now, especially in times like this. And with his work, he worked with many different huge companies like McDonald's, Pepsi, Johnson and Johnson. He's also a community builder, being the founder of Asian Podcast Network, the network or group that I am in, where I first became aware of Jerry. And he's really an inspiration for me in what he does. And I hope one day I can do the same things he's doing with his podcast. With his podcast, with my own podcast, and more. So, without further ado, I welcome in Jerry Wan. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. That was a was a very very nice introduction. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. And like while I was looking up all those kind of stuff, it was like, wow, you did so much because the dear Asian Americans, the first thing that you kind of got people knowing what you do in terms of the podcast thing. That was about a year and so ago. Yeah, you know, the Asian Americans started on, on March second of last year. Um, but I think with you know, along with so many other people who are are, are doing work in the community, you know, um, we we've been in the community, we've been building relationships and, and doing a lot of the work for a long time, uh, long long before uh, we started the podcast itself. For sure, and we'll get into all the podcasting questions. Later on, because I'm really curious. And before we go on, I just want to ask you about your upbringing and just your experience living in America as Asian American. So, with all my guests, I normally start off with this question: What kind of Asian are you? I think it's a very complex question, man.、Um, I, I think you know、uh, the the beauty I think of being Asian American is that it is so diverse, right? And I think many more people now are、uh, starting to learn about just how diverse we are and just how complicated we are to talk about. Uh, many of us, as、uh, in my case, we we were brought up primarily in our ethnic identity. So I was born in Korea, came here to the states when I was eight, 
And a lot of how I viewed myself and how I viewed the world was through the lens of a Korean American person. And of course, you know, being Korean means that you are Asian by default. Uh, but I think the way that people identify as Asian and Asian American now is starting to change. I think it's starting to change from I am Asian because I am Korean to I am Asian because I want to amplify the stories of not just Korean Americans or not just Chinese folks, um, but for so many who uh, have very similar beginnings uh, and, and very, very similar uh, stories as we navigate life here in this country. Um, we, we immigrated to uh, the Southern California area, I went to high school in New York City, came back to the West Coast to go to undergrad at USC, uh, spent most of my adult life here. Uh, with the exception of a couple years in Michigan for grad school, which was a few years ago, but back here in LA now. That's perfect. And I like how you mentioned that we have more, in recent times, we're trying to be more cognizant of like Asian Americans. We're very diverse. We're not all the same. And we're just trying to help each other share our stories. However, same, however different. And just hopefully everyone's stories gets heard. And I think all kind of the podcasts that you do all the time, all the media stuff that you do and all the initiative and projects that you um, are responsible for, you really amplify that. And I really appreciate that. And you mentioned a lot about you growing up in Southern California and your experience being an immigrant when you immigrated to us when you're around eight or so, is that true? Yeah. So can we just talk about your kind of immigrant experience and also how it was like back in the day? Cause for you, you grew up in the nineties. So I was wondering, can you just share on the fact that, oh, 90s Asian American experience and identity is really different compared to now in 2021? Can you just talk to that? Um, yes and no. I Look, I, I think to talk about my experience is, is very different. And I think it is um, perhaps uh, one, very, very impossible, but two, uh, perhaps a little too broad to talk about broadly what the Asian American experience was like in the 90s, right? Because... Mm -hmm. um, where you grew up, how you grew up, it, it all contributes to that. Uh, you know, for my own experience, I, we moved to a city out here called Fullerton, which uh, statistically is the most Korean uh, populated place outside of Korea. And so my Korean American experience growing up here, uh, starting in 1992, was very different. Um, you know, at least for the first five years uh, of, of my Asian American experience, I grew up in a place that was very, very Korean. Um, and so you know, Korean friends, Korean church, uh, neighbors, uh, even the school district sent home letters in English and in Korean. And a lot of the things that we needed uh, just to survive, whether it was grocery shopping or other services, was all available, were all available within sort of our native language. So uh, to, to generalize what it was like, you know, in the 90s as an Asian American is uh, very, very difficult to do because, you know, I wasn't the only person I wasn't the only Korean or any Asian person in, in many, many rooms. Um, you know, going to New York was a very different experience because it was more diverse from an Asian perspective, uh, definitely socioeconomically more diverse. Uh, when you're living in New York City, you experience a lot more different types of people. Um, but, you know, even then, I think it was still very, um, this the, the Asian American community, the way that we know it today, uh, 20 plus years later, is still very different than I think what we saw it, I think back then, um, at least from my personal experience, it was still very much an ethnic Korean identity driven first. Um, you had Chinese friends, you had Japanese friends. Uh, but this idea of collective 
advocacy or collective identity, at least from my experience, wasn't, uh, you know, is not as uh, wasn't as prevalent back then as we know it today. Yeah, for sure. And I think in terms of when you were growing up, were you always kind of able to recognize like the Asian American experience in terms of like, oh, this is something that I want to make sure I uh, talk about or like put out like you do right now, or is it's kind of like a recent thing or like things that you, you got up as you kind of went into like university and into the workforce? I don't think anybody really grows up, especially when you're an immigrant kid, um, you know, being uh, encouraged to pursue academics, uh, pursue professions in the way that many of us did. I don't think anybody ever really grows up wanting to be an Asian American storyteller or, you know, grows up wanting to do this sort of work. I think I certainly didn't think so, right? I think a lot of the times, uh, particularly in our communities uh, where our parents had a very uh, specific, I don't want to say narrow, but a very specific definition of what success in America would mean. And then by and large, you know, more times than not, it was anchored around academics. It was anchored around, um, you know, getting a great job or at a reputable company um, and, and the like. So, you know, the part where I think I decided or I knew that or I wanted to uh, start to tell Asian American stories was when you finally start to realize that you can't hide your identity regardless of what achievements that you have. And so uh, this is a very complex issue. And, you know, if, if people um, have achieved success and don't feel discriminated or don't have not faced uh, racism in, in their workplace or at school, then I think that I would consider that a blessing. But there really isn't a sure way to, quote unquote, make yourself racism or discrimination proof, right? So it doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter where you live. The fact that you are Asian, the fact that you are Korean, the fact that you're a woman or, um, you know, gender, that is who you are. And if people are going to treat you a different way or to treat you negatively based on what you look like, who you are born as, then I think people should consider owning their identity and leading into that a little bit more. I think now, particularly in 2021, we're seeing a lot more stories coming out, particularly from people who are in traditional uh, professional settings to come out and share stories of how they've been discriminated against, how they have been made to feel. Um, but we know we didn't really see a lot of that growing up. you know. So what I wonder and what I'm doing to change the future of is really to see how my life would have turned out differently, could have turned out differently if I had the stories of other Asian Americans doing great things, doing different things than we were initially exposed to. Um, and, and so, you know, what I'm doing now is, is, is quite selfish. I want to create a different kind of Asian America for my children. Uh, my children are very young right now. They're four and two. I often think about the world that I am leaving them, but also the world that I am leaving other kids uh, and other generations. And it can't really be the pursuit of academics, which is great. It can't all be the pursuit of wealth, which is great. Um, but I think, you know, we also need to think about who tells our stories, who owns our narratives. Um, and ultimately, uh, 
you know, even though we're 6% of America, we're 70% of the world. We're four in seven people, not quite 70, 60, 57% of the world, right? And so our stories do matter. There is definitely a demand for our stories. And I think there's going to be continuing to grow a great need and the demand and an audience to hear not just Asian American stories, but Asian stories globally. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've been doing such a great job with all the different podcasts that you do. And anytime you kind of speak on the topic of Asian representation, Asian storytelling is always very illuminating in terms of like how much you really care and what you're kind of trying to put forward. So I just want to talk a little bit more about like you get into like the podcast business because with all your podcasts that you do, it seems like you're very focused. You have a very certain kind of way you want to approach it. So can you just talk about like the formation of your company and how you kind of came about like figuring things out? Like what, what kind of the process from you first doing the dear, dear Asian Americans to now where you're able to get on these Apple uh, lists and uh, being spotlighted on Forbes and all that stuff, like the journey of it. Yeah, the idea of the Asian Americans, I think, uh, unknowingly was always in the back of my mind. You know, what would it look like to hear stories from people? Um, I, like many, I think, consumed a lot of business advice or nonfiction books or podcasts or, you know, how to things from a bunch of guys that didn't look like us, that don't look like us, right? And um, generally white men who have different sorts of privileges than we do. Uh, saying all you have to do is work hard. All you have to do is put your mind to it. It's just hard work, grit, sacrifice, and mindset waking up at 4 a.m. and all these magical things will happen. Well, if that were the case, wealth wouldn't be the way that it is in America, right? The distribution of power and of status and of academics would not be the same. Um, you know, so I, I think it took me a long time to sort of understand that we need contextually relevant storytelling for our audience. Um, when it really became crystal clear uh, was I, I was driving and listening to a podcast from Damon John. Um, Damon John is one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Uh, people from my generation know him for the clothing brand FUBU. Um, but Damon had a podcast and a book combination called Rise and Grind a, a few years ago. And one of the guests that he had on the show was a gentleman by the name of Brian Lee. Brian Lee is a 50-something Korean American entrepreneur. He started LegalZoom, Shoe Dazzle, The Honest Company, and now he's a venture capitalist and a very successful uh, Korean American immigrant story. And so Damon had him on and he was asking him about life and asking him about, you know, the, the rising grind partly. You know, what, what about the fact that you were the children of immigrants in America back in the 70s motivated you? Or what lessons did you learn from that experience? And of course, like any other immigrant kid, when you are the children of immigrants in this country, and particularly immigrants from countries where you don't know the language, the answers are very obvious, which is basically when you see your parents hustle that much, you don't really have any other choice but to learn how to outwork them and to make sure that you're making good on their sacrifice. Well, Brian started answering this question, and, in, and at some point, uh, there was a pause after he answered. I really wanted him to ask Brian some follow-up questions of, what about the fact that your children, your, your parents were always working? Was there a certain point? What did they share with you, right? The things that you, me, as an immigrant kid, was desperately wanting to learn because that's what's important for me, trying to learn from Brian's successes. 
but I don't think Damon either got edited out or I don't know how it happened, but it just went to a different point, right? And so I was sitting there thinking, holy crap, that's what I want to learn. I want to go talk to my people and to ask them about what specifically about the Asian American experience, how they grew up, how their family became American, can we learn from so that we can, with context and with resonance, learn from that and, you know, and then emulate or, or do something different. And so that was actually about three years ago or, or something like that. You know, it, it took me a long time to actually put things into motion and to actually make it crystal clear. But that was sort of uh, the genesis or the spark of how um, theories and Americans as an idea occurred. Um, and so, you know, I, I was able to get Brian back on the show um, for our episode 99, which was super cool. Uh, told them the story. And, you know, I, I think it's just all the things that we we gen- we all in our own ways want to do, which is, you know, how do we make this world a little bit different um, for our kids than the way in we grew up? Um, as far as the other shows, you know, I, I look at, um, I, I'm not necessarily chasing size. Um, I think uh, m- many creators, uh, whether they're podcasters or YouTubers or Instagram folks, I think we often get misguided by numbers and we have either been led to believe or we start to believe ourselves that our impact can only be measured in terms of uh, metrics and we don't really or actually i don't really care about metrics i care about changing lives and driving impact and can be done at a micro level and to really try to share the stories uh, in asian american communities that aren't told today. And so we have a show that's specifically about uh, Create American Adoptee Experience. So we have one about international students getting their MBAs here. We have another one about Korean American Parenting. And we had one for uh, David Kim, who was running for Congress out here in LA. Uh, and we have a career-based show that we're revamping. And so I don't think I want to be, um, nor do I care to be, a household name and podcasting, globally speaking, I just want a bunch of Asian American kids to listen to our stories and have it impact them in a way that somebody else can't. And I think if you uh, get to a point where you have millions of listeners, as an example, then you don't have an audience anymore. You don't have a niche audience anymore. And and so, you know, uh, I... And in some of the work that we do with clients and other people, you know, I, and we do the same exercise internally, like we, we ask them five questions, right? Um, what story are you telling? Why do you want to tell it? Um, who should listen? I, uh, you know, audience identification, why should they listen? And what do you want them to do after they listen to you? And so you have to have intent in having a show or creating anything, it's just like running a business, right? Like, what do you want the customer to do? Do you want them to give you money? Do you want them to sign up for something? Do you want them to, you know, uh, sign up for a course or whatever it is? And so, you know, we've been very intentional about the way that we produce shows, um, you know, and I think it's been, uh, you know, we, we've been at it for about a year and some change. Uh, we've been very fortunate, um, you know, for, for all all things considered of how the world has treated us in the last year, uh, in the last 90 days, there has been an increase in demand and desire to listen to Asian American stories. And so 
uh, we've been the beneficiary of a lot of attention from that perspective. And so, you know, it's been, but, but I think it proves the point that, you know, Asian American storytelling can be a profitable business and a very desirable business, which I think is something that we have yet to prove, uh, as well as we can in our community. Yeah, that's great. And you talking about just working with other companies, kind of sharing our stories and stuff. Can you just talk about like just your experience working with those big companies? Like recently you did something with McDonald's and their campaign and stuff for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Um, well, while it's good, any sort of amplification that happens during Heritage Month, it should be taken with a grain of salt. We understand and appreciate large companies investing in the community and to amplify our stories, but fully also understand from a business perspective why we are a very attractive demographic to market to. Because overall, even though we're not a monolith and our community is extremely complicated, by and large, we are an attractive demographic to market to. We are educated. We have disposable income in certain parts of the Asian American community. And so um, you, you understand all that, you know. Um, as far as, you know, um, opportunities that come, uh, I will say that, uh, I don't know, and, and not quite sure how it looks like from the outside, but, um, you know, a lot of what, uh, happens in my life and, in, uh, especially on the business opportunity side, if, if you chase it back to a lot of the relationships that I've built over the last 20 years, um, that's where they're anchored at, you know, uh, based on the, referrals and the recommendations that I get from other people who can vouch for my work and my personality and, um, and my reputation. And that's how some of these opportunities come. Um, you know, if, if you're asking for the audience on perhaps people who are starting in this journey um, and, you know, want to potentially, you know, get these deals that are obviously, you know, sometimes they're, um, they pay well and they obviously can help fund your work for a long time. Uh, my one recommendation would be, just put in the work and, and be willing to be uh, put in the work for years and years and years. Um, as, as I mentioned before, I think a lot of people who uh, met me in 2020 or just know me from a podcast perspective, go trace my history or trace my uh, introduction into this world until March of 2020. Um, perhaps not as full-time or perhaps not as um, uh, dedicatedly, or that's not a word, um, with, with as much dedication from a time perspective uh, within the community, you know, I, I've been in and around the community in different aspects and building relationships for the past 20 years. And so, you know, what's happening to me now, the opportunities that I'm getting is a culmination of my work, my reputation, um, by the relationships that I've had, the education that I've had, the opportunities that I've been given and the professional experiences that I've had. And so, you know, uh, I think, you know, I, I truly believe that, the upside of Asian American storytelling is all upside. There are going to be more opportunities. Um, but I would also, you know, encourage people to think about growing their brand and think about growing their uh, audience without external brands or external validation, right? We should get into a system, hopefully develop a community where we support each other's work, right? We shouldn't have to rely on large multinational companies and their money to fund our work while it is nice, right? Because um, then you're still really looking for external validation or asking for permission to do what you do uh, from a funding perspective. Um, and, you know, you do give up a little bit of creative control when you work with partners, obviously. But, you know, we've been very fortunate 
Uh, we've done this project with McDonald's where we were able to leverage our social media uh, following to amplify their We Are APA series. Uh, we did a, a campaign with the census last year. We're currently in a campaign with the Department of Health and Human Services for the vaccine campaign. And we did a, a small marketing campaign with Penguin Random House, uh, amplifying Asian American authors last month. The thing that I think where Asian American media uh, companies, whether you're a single podcast or uh, trying to build something else, is it is really hard, in my opinion, for advertisers or brands to market to our community. Because in the past, talking to our parents' generation, uh, when they did Korean American marketing, for example, multicultural marketing, they called it, they were specifically or primarily looking at ways to get in front of or get their messages in front of um, Korean language speaking people who read Korean newspapers, who watched Korean TV, who listened to Korean radio, and drove in parts of towns where they could see a billboard in the Korean language. When it comes to our generation, we don't have a language problem. We don't have, we're, we're, we behave very similar to your mainstream person, and yet we're very different. And so how do you, with nuance and with context, market to and get your messaging specifically to Asian American audiences. My thesis, and obviously why I'm building this business, is that through Asian American anchored and Asian American owned media entities and brands and voices, will these brands be able to communicate with our community in the best and most effective way? Majority of the people who listen to my show are Asian American. Majority are 24 to 45. It skews female. Marketing-wise, that's the best demographic that pe you know people want to market to, and so there has to be intentionality behind you know running a media business too. Because when you run a media business, podcast otherwise, you're asking for people's attention, and so what are you going to do with that attention? How can you turn it into something else? And so, um, yeah, I'm not sure. That's how. I'm not sure if if you wanted to go that deep in, into your question, but you know, um, it's, uh, and, and here's the other part too, I guess on, on the last part, um, the way that people, um, the way that general market advertisers and marketing folks quantify podcast revenue is through a metric called CPM. So M means thousand and Roman numerals. So it's cost per thousand they'll give you on average 25 or $35 per thousand listens. And so if you have any familiarity with how difficult it is to grow a podcast listening audience, to even get it to a thousand listens and show, general market will tell you, hey, we're gonna give you 35 bucks a month, maybe 150 bucks a month. That's not, that's zero, right? And so um, the uniqueness comes in and the value increases when you're able to reach a unique audience out of your thousand that people can't otherwise. Right. So uh, anyway, that, you know, th those are some things to think about as well. And so that's why it is extremely important to be very, very narrow and intentional and focused on who your audience is, why they should listen to you and what you want them to do. And then also to make sure that, you know, you establish a brand, not just for yourself, but for your show. So that when people think of, you know, your particular show or your particular, um, you know, whatever you do, your account, then people know specifically what you want to, what you can do 
for their brand, especially if it's a, a market or an agency wanting to expand their reach. Yeah, that those are really good advice. You mentioned something about like just creating a community, creating a community where everyone supports one another, especially for Asian Americans. You always have this mindset because from previous guests that I, I um, interviewed before, they always talk about how they were used to being the only Asian in the room, whether in the work setting or just corporate and stuff. And they're always having this feeling of like, I'm the only Asian. I need to be the one on top. I, I can't like work with each other and such. How did you develop this mindset? Like we got to support one another and that we, when we all go up, we all go up together, that kind of mentality. Cause I think scarce somebody said is bullshit, man. Um, Cause it's not true. And I think if you build your community properly throughout your academic and other parts of your life, you should never feel like you're the only one, right? So uh, let's use an example of, I don't know, you're, you're an accountant, right? And you go to work in your accounting firm and your team is all white and you're the only Asian person. Your company's pretty white and you're like, oh my God, I'm alone. Where did you go to school? Are there Asian American accounting associations that you can belong to? Can you talk to your classmates? Can you find people on LinkedIn? Can you go on Facebook? Can you create a community if you don't see one? It's not that hard, right? And so, um, and then the reason why is extremely simple is that none of us, um, my, my least favorite phrase uh, from a business perspective is self-made because I don't think that concept exists. Right. Like, sure, from a technical perspective, I think self-made means that you weren't inherited money and you had to build it yourself. But this notion of being self-made is also full of crap because nobody in the universe does anything in life without the assistance of some assistance of something or somebody. Right. Many of us went to public school. That was taxpayer funded education. You didn't teach yourself. We drive on roads that were paid for by other people. Maybe you got a scholarship to go to school. Somebody gave you a chance. Somebody gave you a job, right? So this notion that you're alone and that you need to prove yourself only ends with the realization that you are not alone and that there's no point of being the top dog in an organization or, you know, anything. Um, again, I, I think, you know, that's what we were taught a lot as, as children, as, you know, uh, in, in, in a world where meritocracy is believed to be a reality, sure, that's what it takes, right? Just be the smartest person in the room. Just work the hardest. But isn't it also true that in America in or in many Western parts of the world, particularly in the corporate setting, we get treated because of the way we look. And so even though you may believe in merit, merit might not believe in you, right? And so if that's the case, why not prepare or doesn't it make sense to consider a possibility that you should learn more about your identity and just be proud of who you are and to build community around it and not from a perspective that it makes you any uh, less desirable or weaker or not as good. Um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, that this whole notion of building community, I think is, is the most powerful thing in the world because, you know, ultimately, um, and again, there's exceptions to everything and every rule, but I just think that, you know, um, you, you have to be able to find groups of people uh, with like-mindedness, with, um, 
you know, with uh, similar goals, with similar levels of ambition to, to, to grow the pie. I, I think the scarcity mindset tells you that the pie is fixed and that it is your job to try to grab as big of a slice as possible. And not to get super math or super nerdy on y'all, but if you understand pi r squared, an incremental increase in the radius means an exponential growth mm. literally in the area of the circle. So just grow the goddamn pie, right? Instead of fighting for slices, if everybody pushes at the edges and grows the circle literally just a little bit, everybody can eat and then some. And so, and also realizing that n- there's very, very few things in the world that are uh, finite in this world. Money is limitless, really. Opportunity is limitless, you know? And and so, you know, I mean, that's what I did with Asian Podcast Network. I looked around. I wanted to build a community with other Asian podcasters globally and here in the States and all that. I didn't find one. Um, other groups exist, sure. But in my vision and the way that I wanted it to be a, a supportive community, of helping each other grow and build um, and to encourage each other, it didn't exist. So what the hell did it take me? I made it, I mean, it started with the Facebook group, right? And then we built a thousand person email list and then we had an award show um, and we help each other. And, you know, we friends, friendships like this happen, right, yeah. Kyle? And so it doesn't take a whole lot of work to build something. Um, and I think we've all learned from the pandemic that uh, because we all belong to communities on Facebook, communities elsewhere that are virtual in nature, where whether it's a Discord channel or, you know, anything where like-minded people want to get together, help each other. Um, Of course, there's a lot of caveats of, you know, decency and humility and wanting to really help each other instead of being opportunistic and screwing people over. But the community actually self-polices and a community will actually help weed those people out. Um, you know, our friends over at Asian Hustle Network, Asian Creative Network, and Rise, and so many others have really built massively powerful, not only communities, but also tools for communication and tools for the dissemination of information. We talked about partnerships earlier. If you look at a couple of those Facebook groups, they too now are getting, getting brand deals and, you know, partnering with other brands that realize that to get to the Asian American community, the target demographic, you need to partner with people who have credibility and already have built in uh, community and lists basically, you know, of how to get to those people. Yeah. And I really benefited from having your Asian podcast network because I met so many cool people there, learned so much from fellow podcasters and just built relationships. Like I have a lot of different podcasters that I met through Asian Podcast Network that I will seriously be like, when this pandemic over, I definitely need to meet up. It's been such a rewarding journey, not just doing this podcast, but connecting with other like-minded individuals that, you know, have the same vision, have the same kind of perspective and just working together. Like every time it was like, oh, someone posted an episode, like, oh, good job. I've been listening. It's great. And just kind of the continuous support by one another. I think that's really beautiful. And, um, I, again, like I think with this whole pandemic, one of the things I'm most grateful for, not only just having this podcast, but finding Asian Podcast Network, Asian Creative Network, and all these kind of Asian-specific network for us in terms of community building and like sharing our thoughts and feelings. That's really powerful and strong. And um, yeah, props to you for like doing it. And um, we talk a lot about like you 
forming this media company, this podcast network, and this podcasting journey. I kind of want to talk about something I noticed that you mentioned in your own show shows, like you're going to write a book. Can you just talk about that and what can we expect? And like, how has it been in the, like the writing process or like just having this as a project as a whole for yourself and what it means to you? Uh, thank you. First of all, um, uh, the, the book thing is wild. Uh, I, I think in the back of my mind and certainly on many people, I think even though we, uh, so I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I think we, we all create content, right? Um, if you have a Facebook account, if you have an Instagram account, we all create content in a way. And, and then you and I have taken it a step further and we have a public facing podcast, um, books too. Um, and I guess a step before that, um, podcasts are one of the most democratized platforms in the world. Nobody you, you know, we didn't ask anybody's permission. We don't need to, um, you know, have, you know, we didn't ask anybody's permission really. And nobody needs to tell us that we can do something or not. Um, I, you know, I, I think books are going in that way as well. There's a lot of self-publishing. There's a lot of print on demand stuff. The, the way that I wanted to do my book though, was something that people can go get at a bookstore at, you know, whether it is a, a locally owned bookstore, Barnes and Noble, an airport bookstore, it's, comes from the same root ambition or desire as to create my own podcast to give people contextually relevant storytelling for not just myself, but for the audience so that when an Asian American kid listens to our stories, that they might be moved, even though we might say the same damn thing. I want people to be able to go into a bookstore and to pick up a book that I've written about our stories, because why not? Is any American bookstore the stories, the books in them representative of America? No, not by a long shot. Because publishing in America, it's still one of the most white anchored industries in the universe. People who own bookstores, uh, the people who even the small independent ones don't really have a focus on telling diverse stories. Also, consider all the things that we talked about today as far as academic or professional ambition. Not very many of our parents told us you should write a book, right? It was just go make a shitload of money somewhere, right? And so uh, I was approached by my literary agent, Charles Kim of Serendipity Literature. And, you know, he had been following me, listened to our episodes and uh, had been observing me for a little while. And uh, sometime in April, he messaged me and said, I think you should write a book and I want to help you do it. It rocked my world and it changed my world. And I got super emotional in my initial conversation with him. I ironically, as, as somebody who, as, as you, the, the power that we have as hosts of a show inviting somebody on to share their story, telling them, I think the world needs to hear your story is a very, very powerful tool. Probably no other gift greater than to tell somebody their story matters. So when he said, I, I want you to write a book called The Asian Americans, like I almost lost it. Um, because for me, it's, it's a validation, right? Because I think regardless of how big our platforms are, regardless of how uh, important or not we think we are in this grand scheme of things, you know, whether it is a book deal, whether it is McDonald's partnership, or whether it is anything, it's not necessarily the thing that is important. It's the thing that it represents, right? And so it means that our stories are important, and that the work you're doing is important. And that somebody who is in the business of publishing books, and who only makes money when these books sell, believes that I am capable of writing something that I am marketable enough, and that I'll work my ass off towards a communal goal of getting these books on shelves somewhere, right? So 
Um, the first, uh, we're going to write two books uh, for now. One is going to be called Dear Asian Americans. It will be an anthology of sorts, a collection of stories from Asian, other Asian Americans who, uh, you know, we're basically going to be writing our, our version of uh, Dear Asian American Letters. Um, and so that will be the first one. It'll probably come out in a couple of years. Uh, the thing that I have learned and continue to learn about publishing is that it takes ever, a very long time to do anything. And so... Uh, we are working on uh, what they call the proposal, which will get shopped around to different publishing houses. And then once they quote unquote buy the rights to it, then you write it, you edit it, takes a mm -hmm. long, long time. And so probably if we're fast, like end of 22, likely beginning of 23. And then the second book that we're doing is going to be more of my own voice, which obviously will help having a little bit more time to write a story in my own voice. But, you know, yeah, we'll see, you know, and, and here's whether it is podcasts or books, like I really, really want to inspire other people to do the same, um, whether or not um, there is obviously, you know, we all have egos and we all have a desire to leave our world, our words and our voices and legacy and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I know for a fact that I've inspired other people to start their own podcast. I know for a fact that I've inspired other people to do more public speaking. It all, all told, and because I've been inspired by other people to do the same, right? The very first time I read a book in English by a Korean American author, um, it changed my life. The first time I met a Korean American author in real life, uh, who I'm very lucky to still consider a, a mentor and friend today, that changes your life. Um, I think what it is really what is really important about the stage of Asian American history that we are living through now is the ownership of our own stories and being proud of it. And so to really take this moment to go beyond having wealth and academic and professional achievements define this generation to go beyond that and saying, what are we going to leave behind? Right? So, um, so from, you can't see it, podcast listeners, I'm sorry, only Kyle's going to see what I'm talking about. But from uh, just my top shelf, from this all the way to here, um, are all my Asian American yeah, books. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, when I started, it only was about half its size, and um, a lot of my friends have written books. Um, anytime I see an Asian American book, uh, I you know, I may not end up reading it immediately, <laughs> uh, but I'll buy it right because we need to show support not just to the people who write these books, uh, but also to show the Amazons and the Barnes and Nobles of the world that if you support, if you put an Asian American author on the shelf, we will go buy the crap out of it, right? And because money talks. And so, but you know, below this line, so I have a, uh, I don't know, this is a four story shelf. So the bottom three shelves are books uh, generally written by uh, white dudes, generally on the same topics of business and motivation and life. And a lot of it is the regurgitation of the mm -hmm. same stuff like mindset and like, you know, all, all the things that we, we know and, and we hear. And so again, I'm not advocating for people to write garbage or to regurgitate other people's material, but the difference between the people in my Asian American bookshelf and everything else, two main differences and they're linked. One, the audacity to believe that your story matters and therefore you're going to write a book about it. And two, 
the ecosystem and the publishing world and that industry for there to be support and money to say, sure, whatever guy, we'll give you a book deal to write another book about peak performance, even though there's 50 books on the topic, all written by white dudes, and they all sound the same, right? So, um, and this all ties in together, right? So uh, we, we started talking about sort of the amplification and the audience that you build, um, a, a strategic reason why I'm working with Charles is because he understands the power of leveraging my audience to go sell my books, right? So, and, and so it all, you know, it, it all sort of is in that same thing. Um, my ultimate goal, ultimate, ultimate goal, I don't know if it will happen with this book or not. Um, when I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll cry when I go to my local bookstore and see my book. Um, but where I think I will absolutely lose it is uh, when the book gets translated mm. into Korean and I can go nice. buy it in Korea. Yes. Um, so, you know, and, and so I, I want to share with people that I, if you look at my resume, like none of this makes sense, mm -hmm. right? I, it's not a linear thing by any, by any means. Um, and, and you don't have to, and then, so here's what I'll say. Um, I quit my job in consulting and then we work to do this. Um, you don't have to do what I do. 99% uh, of uh, storytellers do it as a hobby or as a side gig, but do it, um, do it, commit to it. You don't have to make it your full-time job, uh, but you have to do it long enough for you to see the reap the rewards of it. Right. Um, I did a hundred episodes in a year. It's why I understand the, um, you know, the, I don't know. It's wild. Mm -hmm. Um, but great things have happened. I've made some money from it. Right. Um, and because of the work that I've done in this podcasting space and the reputation that I've built, I've been invited to speak at a lot of companies in the past few months. Um, and, and that's been a very profitable part of my job and part of my life. And so, you know, um, purely at the end of the day, though, like I took a much longer route to get to quote unquote success in my storytelling business because I wanted to share specifically Asian American stories. And so uh, if I just wanted to make a bucket load of money, I probably would have joined the bottom half of my book mm -hmm. show and just started talking about mindset and business and success and, you know, follow me mm -hmm. for daily motivation yeah. tips, you know, all the things that we, we, Sometimes cringe mm -hmm. at, but we always follow on, on social yeah. media. So um, that's you know it's 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 hard and it's complicated. But do what seems right for mm -hmm. you. Uh, do what seems authentic for you. Because um, you know to to give your most precious resource, uh, which people say is time, but for me it's your authenticity, just who you are. Uh, to give that up and to silence it in exchange for some money and it's not even life-changing mm -hmm. money for the vast majority of us. Um, that equation doesn't make yeah. any sense. And there is, I guarantee you, there is a way to make money doing the thing that you're going to be proud of. It's just going to take some mm -hmm. time. And yeah, all that you say, I'm going to think so much about it 
for a very long time because it's such good gems and good words to live by. And it's been such a co great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Again, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a blast. And for those that want to know more about you, your your story and the shows that you do and what you, you know preach, where can they find you? Uh, you should be. You're supposed to able to find me at jerryone.com, but we're working on it. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but hopefully by the time this airs, uh, you can go to jerrywan.com uh, and you can find all all the stuff um, or uh, just Google it. Just Google mm -hmm. me and I'm, I'm easy to find. Yeah. Uh, I am most active on LinkedIn. Um, and, and so, you know, easy to find me wherever. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to chat, you know, uh, shoot me a note um, and I'd be happy to engage with y'all. Thank you so much for doing this. And I really appreciate all that you do for the community and what you provide for, you know, Asian storytelling. All the best to all that you do in the future. And I can't wait to find your book, read it, buy it. And hopefully I could also get the Korean version of it just to have it on the shelf. Now you should write your own book, man. I'll think about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get there. But, you know, got to keep working. Like you said, just got to put in the work. Cool, man. Thanks for the invite. Uh, for folks who are listening, uh, continue to support Kyle and his work. Continue to support other Asian storytellers. Community and, and support has to start at home. And so I don't know how you ask for help, but, you know, however he asks for help, share this out and to, uh, you know, make sure that we can all grow the pie together. Thanks for the Thank invite. you so much. Thank you for listening to What Kind of Asian Are You podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider following the podcast on your streaming platform and also on Instagram at What Kind of Asian Pod. Again, What Kind of Asian Pod. Make sure to leave reviews and ratings as well. Again, thank you for listening and supporting. See you on the next episode of What Kind of Asian Are You podcast.